From our offices in Washington, D.C., this is Everything About Hydrogen. I'm Andrew Liedem, and with me today, as usual, are Patrick Malloy of the Rocky Mountain Institute in Washington, D.C., and Chris Jackson, CEO of Proteum over in London. Today's episode is our last one of the year here at Everything About Hydrogen, and since we have been talking constantly amongst ourselves at EAH about the fact that we need to do some episodes focusing on Australia, we finally pulled it together here and reached out to some of our contacts down under. And with that in mind, our guest on today's show is Brendan Norman, CEO of H2X. H2X is a relative newcomer to the automotive industry. It was founded recently by global car industry executives with the aim to produce hydrogen fuel cell vehicles at facilities in Port Kembla in New South Wales. The company's initial vehicle models are scheduled to come to market in 2022, with plans to expand its offerings dramatically in subsequent years. Brendan was kind enough to join us from Kuala Lumpur and to extend his workday into the evening in order to compensate for a 13-hour time difference with us here in D.C. So we really appreciate him making the time, and we hope you enjoy our chat with Brendan on this last episode of 2020. As always, if you have any questions for us here at Everything About Hydrogen, please shoot us an email at info at h2podcast.com or give us a shout on Twitter at, at about hydrogen. And with that, let's get started. All right, guys. So uh, the final episode of the year, uh, I take a crack at a Australian accent in the intro, as I'm sure people have heard by now. So uh, our listenership is now gone. But that's a good way to close out the year. So uh, finally got the Australians on the uh, on the line. So Chris, well, first of all, following on last time, how are you doing? How are things in London? How are your holidays? Oh, you charmer. Uh, yeah, no, uh, no. Uh, all, all, all good. Um, I think we're going to go lockdown tier three in London and no deals. So that's probably not ideal. Um, <laughs> but everything else is fine. All right. <laughs> is there a fire breaking in your apartment as well? Just just random. Yeah, right? basically in the background there. No, um, but but on the positive side, um, the Committee on Climate Change in the UK just released the first fully comprehensive blueprint of how the UK gets to net zero by 2050. And actually, it's extremely ambitious. It's like an 85% CO2 reduction for 2035, ban on diesel HGVs from 2040. And of course, that segues in perfectly to this discussion. And actually, I think Brendan's just joined us. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, Brendan, how are you? Good, Andrew. How are you? Uh, Brendan, thank you very much for joining the team on the call today. Um, can you start by maybe telling us a little bit and our listeners about H2X um, and I guess also a little bit about uh, yourself and how you and the team came to, to make H2X, how H2X came to be? Perfect. Thanks, Chris. And thanks for having me on board. Um, I've listened to a number of the shows that you've, you've put together, and it's a great honor to be asked on board. Um, so I'm the CEO and co-founder of H2X. We're a company that started as of this year. Um, my background is obviously I come from an automotive background, so I spent a number of years with BMW and then a number of years with Audi and Volkswagen. Um, along the way, I've been involved with uh, River Simple, of course, which most of your listeners are probably familiar with, of course, being one of the very first hydrogen car makers. I uh, have been involved with them for quite a long time, um, more than a decade, uh, and joined joined in um, some of their activities along the way for various parts of, of their journey, uh, which is a fantastic step, of course, because the um, the project that, that they've got and the products that they're making is, is really something spectacular. 
myself and Chris, who's co-founder for me, we started a company in China called Grove back in 2016. Uh, and this was the first step for us to sort of lead a, a hydrogen fuel cell based company. We had um, a number of passenger and commercial vehicles that we had been, been developing at that time for that company. Um, we also had um, a number of truck and bus applications which we were working on. Um, and that was, I would say, a very interesting project. It was based in Wuhan in China, which at the time was, um, I would say, not as well known as it is now, but um, a very um, innovative sort of city which was doing a number of uh, interesting things. And it was, a, it was a great opportunity for us to really get an opportunity to put together some very interesting vehicles. We, um, we started to see an opportunity for a more global platform for us to sort of do something a little bit different. Um, and then after a period of searching for the right application for us, we, we came up with um, H2X and decided to start that around the middle of this year. Um, and the idea for us was, and it's something that, you know, myself and Chris and a couple of other members of the team, we've always really wanted to make vehicles which were really sustainable, but also gave an opportunity to sort of help grow the market. And that means focusing on not only the fact that the technology needs to be something which is um, what we feel is appropriate in terms of hydrogen, but also that means using the right materials, using the right approaches, finding ways to improve the general sustainability of the vehicle as a total from the way it's manufactured, the different sort of manufacturing techniques, the way that the vehicle will be used and so on. So it's an opportunity for us to try something that's really different um, and, you know, use the skills that we've used as automotive manufacturers along the way. One of the um, benefits that we've had along the way is, of course, we, we um, have come together with a team of specialist um, hydrogen fuel cell people. They're based in Asia um, and they're, of course, um, coming to join our team based in Australia. Of course, it's been a little bit difficult to move people around during the COVID period, but um, this will be a team that is based in Australia. But this team has been responsible for the development of pretty much more than half the heavy vehicles on the road today um, with various projects that they've worked on. Um, as design and lead and implementation specialists for hydrogen fuel cells. Also, that includes the um, largest application of a um, fixed power application for fuel cells in the world um, in China that they did a number of years ago. So we have a very, very strong fuel cell team on top of our um, automotive team. And that's what gives us a lot of confidence to go forward into the future with what we're doing. So, Brendan, I, I suppose the, the, the question that then kind of jumps out is, is why launch in Australia and, and, and why now? Well, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get away with the idea that my accent comes from anywhere else. So there's definitely that that's <laughs> going on in the background. Um, I haven't said use yet, but I'm pretty sure you've worked out where I come from. Um, one of the things about Australia that's always um, fascinated and, um, and excited me is that there's so much um, there's, there's so much Australian talent uh, that's sort of floating around the world um, in the engineering space. And, you know, we've always been floating around and you'll hear every now and then Australian accent and then you'll come across these people and, and quite often I've been working with them in different sort of applications. Australia has a number of, of, of great talents and one of the, um, the challenges that's of course happened um, with our country in the past couple of years is the um, automotive 
uh, industry uh, has left the country to a large extent. There are still some um, pretty good country companies that are down there, but there's a number of companies which, of course, had left, and this left behind quite a, a good number of people. This is an opportunity for us to take advantage of, of that sort of talent pool. Um, and also, of course, take advantage of the fact that the, the hydrogen story in Australia is becoming a really strong story. So it's putting these two things together, this, this sort of shift in, in what happened in Australia with the automotive industry, putting that together with the shift towards hydrogen vehicles. And that gave us an opportunity to sort of put those two stories together and create our own company coming out of Australia as a basis. The other thing, of course, with Australia is there are a number of really terrific suppliers. There's some really great technology coming out of the country. Um, and normally it just sort of floats away and, and goes to another country um, as some sort of it gets purchased up as IP and it finds itself in another country. We wanted to give it an opportunity um, for those sort of projects to, to see the light of day within the country. So that's why we've, we've chosen Australia, because we think it's got a lot of opportunity um, at this very point in time. So yeah, maybe maybe a little a little follow on, you know, why, why, why hydrogen over over battery? Um, and I suppose, you know, particularly given given what you said about the, the, the kind of the hydrogen opportunity in Australia, um, and the kind of the the strength of that that's that's certainly one aspect of it but as a as a producer you know what what was the technology choice the technology choice for us was i would say it's been a very difficult sort of process over the past 15 years to sort of get one's head around where the direction for um, the right sort of technology is. I think that battery vehicles are fantastic at what they do and I think there's some great applications of these. But what we've seen is over the past, you know, the past 10 years of different sort of applications and tests and so on, is there's a big space for hydrogen vehicles. So I think that where electric vehicles have a lot of opportunity to fit into the, the certain sort of um, fields, there's also a number of fields where hydrogen vehicles are going to work very well. Now, one of the things for us, of course, as I said, the majority of our team have come from a, a vehicle background or from a, a car background, which is obviously using traditional sort of power sources. And the opportunity for us, of course, is to really expand upon this, this sort of mindset, but also the style of driving that we've gotten used to. You know, you sort of drop into a gas station, you fill up the vehicle, you take off again and so on, and then you can sort of use it um, as you choose to use it in, um, in a way that the, the application of the gas sort of allows you to go certain distances and, and then be able to be mobile again very quickly. This sort of freedom that um, we're offered by the, um, by the petrol cars and so on of the past is what's more, easy, uh, more easily able to be replicated with the um, hydrogen vehicles than it is with the battery vehicles. As we see it at the moment, I think in the next 10 years, we're going to see a number of changes and that's going to shift between batteries and hydrogen are both going to have enormous changes going on as we see different types of technology. We like the idea that hydrogen is also quite new. I think there's um, some terrific leaders in the electric space and I think they've done some fantastic jobs. We've got an opportunity to perhaps trailblaze a little bit with some different approaches and so on in the hydrogen space that will allow us to do something that is a little bit different and allow us to sort of fit into some gaps where the electric vehicles can't. We also really value the opportunity to bring mobility to some parts of the world which don't necessarily 
necessarily have the chance to easily consider electric mobility because, of course, the, the transmission of electricity and so on isn't always so, so ready. There are opportunities, of course, with hydrogen to produce that with lots of different ways, and that includes ways which are not necessarily available in built-up cities and all the developed places. So hydrogen also gives us an opportunity to go into into locations and into um, uh, into environments where they don't necessarily have the opportunity to have clean transport or any transport at all, and then provide them with an opportunity to have something really different. Um, we focus one of our products, which will be coming in the future. I'm not going to go into too much detail on that product, but one of our products is very much focused on being able to provide this mobility to certain places like this and then use really unique processes in terms of anaerobic processes and so on, which are not using energy to create hydrogen and then allow mobility to be delivered to parts of the world which are not. And we think that hydrogen's got a real advantage in being able to offer that sort of um, opportunity to people who don't necessarily have that opportunity especially to move into a into a clean environment so that's something that we think is a real positive in terms of the um, the hydrogen platform and building on the on the uh, topic of, of product offerings that uh, h2x uh, appears to have a rather uh, ambitious range of products on the horizon you know beginning with the utility vehicle models in 2022 and uh, the snowy SUV in 2024 uh, it's quite a lot to uh, to tackle. So, could you possibly walk us through some of H2X's uh, you know forward-looking plans for vehicle or product offerings, and uh, maybe uh, if it, if it can be done in in brief, sort of how a, a new company like H2X uh, approaches such a, a wide range of offerings and, and uh, applications. Yeah, that's a it's a good question because it comes up quite often. But actually, the way that we've developed our product lineup uh, is that all of those products that you see in the light vehicle platform, and that's from the taxi, that's the delivery van, and the um, the coach bus that comes off the same sort of product as a delivery van, the pickup, and then into the SUV. All of these products exist on one basic technological platform. And the opportunity for that is that we can create a chassis and a platform. There are some variabilities, obviously. We need to, with the focus with the pickup, is that it's a very it's a very robust pickup. It's got the opportunity to go into um, much rougher areas than the other vehicles ever will do. So there are different suspension systems and different underbody treatments and and some different applications in the way that the body's put together. But in general, the component set is essentially the same thing. Um, the beautiful thing about the platform that we have in terms of the powertrain with the fuel cells and then the, um, the combination of different sort of energy storage systems that we have on board, because there is a variation that we have from different products, is that we're able to increase or decrease the power application and the, the shift of power being that from the ESS into the um, into the fuel cell, depending on what that vehicle is going to be doing. Brendan, just for the uh, less technical of us, ESS. Uh, sorry, the energy storage system, which would be something like a battery or supercapacitor. Sorry for that. Cool, perfect. No, awesome, mate. Just because uh, otherwise, I'm going to get lost as well. <laughs> no, sorry for that. I got a bit got a bit going quick there, and as you can see, I get quite excited by the technology, which is probably something that I've need to take under a little bit more control. Um, one of the things about well, if you weren't excited about the technology, maybe uh, you'd wonder why you were starting up a fuel cell uh, company, fuel cell <laughs> manufacturing company. Go ahead. Yeah, I think that answers a lot of questions as well, doesn't it? <laughs> um, so one of the things that I think that we've got is that we we do have that platform and that platform allows us a very sort of 
simplistic ability to insert the technology into the vehicle. It's one of the beautiful things about electric vehicle platforms. Our vehicle is, of course, an electric vehicle platform with hydrogen as the main storage system, is that we are able to fit it all into the vehicle in a pretty simple sort of a way because it doesn't fit itself into the body the same way that petrol vehicle petrol cars do because of course there's a lot more that goes into it and it has to be done in a different way so what it means is that we can put those vehicles together pretty easily and essentially with the different sort of vehicles that we're offering it's a matter of just rearranging the way that we put the body on top of it maybe the steering wheel is a bit different the location of the the engine components is a little bit different but in general because the basis of the car is roughly the same, it does make it quite easy for us to produce those vehicles. Um, and it also allows us to produce those vehicles in multiple locations um, in terms of assembly and so on, which also allows us to reduce the amount of transportation that's required for the vehicles, which is also a very much a positive thing for the environment and, all, and, and so on. So I guess, Brendan, maybe on that, just so that we can um, make it a little bit clearer for our listeners, um, in some senses, the H2X model then is 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 an integrator uh, model in some ways, where you're using the expertise of the team to identify the best suppliers in the market, people who have already built very good fuel cell systems, who have already got exciting chassis um, and various other components that put together a fuel cell electric vehicle. And you're then optimizing based on the expertise in the team how to pull all those components together and manufacture it in different markets to meet the specific needs for them. And then over time, building more of those components in-house. Is that a fair summary? To some extent, I would say that's how the entire vehicle industry does work. So there's a number of different applications. You look at companies like Bosch, uh, Denso, um, Magneti Morelli and so on. These big companies make a lot of different components that do go into different vehicles in different ways and, and all of the manufacturers use that. For sure, we follow that and um, you know the experience that we've got coming from that vehicle integration side allows us a lot of that sort of uh, opportunity. Um, there are some core components, of course, that we are taking from, from certain friends that are um, in the industry, and that's definitely something that we look at. And yeah, it is a matter of the fact that we're looking out for the best technologies to put into the vehicle. But as well as that, there's a lot of core technology that we have to develop ourselves. And that's important for us to be able to retain a sort of uh, an advantage or a unique selling point compared to anyone else. So it is important that we do develop our own, our own parts. Um, we have some pretty groovy terms of or the, the approach that we're taking towards the chassis. That's something that we are very proud of in terms of the way that we're constructing the chassis um, that Chris and his team have developed within that. Um, there's some other technology in terms of the operating systems that our team is extremely good at um, putting together as well. And that's something that we're also very proud of. And in general, the way that we're approaching the business, we try to do things which are, are pretty much unique um, and that's important. But yeah, very much it's a blend of the two sort of situations where we try and find the best that's out there and put it together again. And then we also try and add what we can in terms of finding things that will keep us, you know, ahead of the game and give us a real opportunity to sort of provide a product which is really interesting to the market. No, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, just uh, quickly, Patrick, do you want to, should I go straight into four then or do you want to do, or do you want to pick that one up? No, go for it. Okay. So, Brendan, um, I guess, obviously, we've talked about the fact that there are a number of different um, solutions that H2X is looking to provide to the market. Which products are you most excited about? And what are the markets um, you know, that are driving the interest in that particular product? And by market, I mean, either, you know, in the business model sense, you know, so taxis versus, you know, commercial vehicles, or, or market also even in the context of actual geography. So Australia, Europe, Asia, etc. 
That I think that that question is something which, if you had have asked me that six months ago, would have been a very difficult question. And having gone through the last six months of talking to customers, talking to different sort of correspondent partners um, that we're working with, and so on, um, I can tell you where those partners are. They're on the um, the western side of Europe in general. I think we've had um, quite a lot of um, application there. There are certain parts of um, Asia that's also adapting very quickly. Um, there's obviously a lot of noise in Australia, which of course is where we've come from, but I would say that Europe is a little bit more dominant at that point. Um, and that's that's coming from the city uh, the city side of it. It's There's a number of cities, as you're well aware, is closing off to um, petrol vehicles, and therefore they do need something different. Um, I think that there's been a number of different applications of electric vehicles that have been tried in sort of commercial circumstances, be that taxis or delivery vans and so on. And I think that what's happened with a lot of those trials is that there is definitely an opening for something that's going to be a lot quicker to refuel and a lot quicker to be able to sort of get back on the road from refueling, but also last out on the road a lot longer by having a much longer travel time. And I think that's where hydrogen has an advantage. We can turn around something like a um, an MPV or something like this, or a van can be turned around within three to five minutes in terms of refueling, be back out on the road again and doing what it needs to do very quickly, but it will also run for about 500, 600 kilometers. And this is what's needed with these sort of vehicles. People's livelihoods are on the basis of it. And of course, with the really professional sort of moving companies, whether they're moving people, they're moving vehicles, it could be Uber and all this sort of thing, money is made by, by distance travel on the road and it's not made by being charged. So that's one area where from a professional vehicle point of view that we see that there's a huge opportunity for us in the hydrogen area and that's very much where we're focusing. So it's city vehicles, the majority of that activity to we feel to start with and this is where we can really help also to generate the sort of um, infrastructure requirements that are necessary is very much in that professional vehicle area in Western Europe where a lot of these cities have now banned the vehicles from 2025 and onwards and that's a really great opportunity for us to demonstrate where we can have advantages with hydrogen vehicles. So Brendan I think I think following on how how does H2X's approach to, to market kind of differ from similar companies competing in the space and you know obviously there's some very established uh, kind of car manufacturing companies now emerging into into this and related spaces, but also there's other other uh, newer kind of uh, brands that have, have built up a strong reputation. How, how do you differentiate yourself in terms of approach? Well, as far as the um, FCV markets is concerned, obviously there's two major players that are really dominant in that space and they've, they've very much gone for, um, you know, they, they, there's some heavy vehicles that they've started with and they've started with the passenger cars. And I think that they're doing a terrific job at expanding those sort of operations. We're a little bit in the middle as far as the product's concerned. We're in a different space to where they've currently launched their vehicles. Um, we're nowhere near where they've launched their vehicles in terms of the vans and the various vehicles that we're working on at the moment. The um, opportunity for us, of course, is to fit into those niches. But the other thing that I think it's more about the approach that we have as a company and the way that we operate is that we've got this um, approach where we're finding where there's an opportunity for a city, a company or something like this, um, which is really or some sort of organisation or, or some sort of ecosystem which is looking for a clean solution. They've 
already identified the fact that hydrogen is interesting or we helped them to identify the fact that hydrogen would be appropriate based on various sort of um, ecological conditions, whether that's a lot of wind power that they've got or hydropower or they've got certain application of using different waste products to, to go back into energy. And where those projects are operational, we then see an opportunity for us to say, all right, well, you've got this power, you've got this opportunity to create this power. And then what we do is we work together with them and then we figure out a different sort of cost effectiveness program based on a number of vehicles, how many vehicles that is that needs to be to make the most of the infrastructure that needs to be purchased in order to support those vehicles. And then we work out how many vehicles need to go there who would potentially use those vehicles, talk to all those customers, then work, bring it all together and then go and roll out this whole ecosystem together as one thing. And that's nice and easy, Brendan. I mean, no challenges there at all. <laughs> no, well... I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of good work. It's we're up to about 19 of these projects by now. So, and there's, and, you know, as you well know, Chris, and um, I think that there's a number of different um, really cool operations that are going on around the world where there are those sort of opportunities for us, and it's a matter of us finding them. What will end up happening, of course, is we'll set these up and then there'll be the infrastructure will start to take place and then, you know, the bigger guys can then come in and enjoy that as well. But they're doing, they're making waves, they're making a lot of ground that's going to benefit us in the long run as well. So I think that we're all contributing, all of the companies that are participating in this fuel cell activity are all contributing to the market together in the same direction. It's as long as that we um, we take care of making sure that the vehicles are well engineered and they're done properly and so on and there's not many mistakes or anything like that that's, that's going to be hurting um, the industry in any way, um, which does happen from time to time. You know, there's, you always see pictures of vehicles on fire and this sort of thing in certain sort of applications, um, as we saw with a number of the um, electric vehicles earlier on, but that's stopped. And um, to some extent, although it hasn't stopped everywhere, but to a, to a large extent that everyone's got on top of that. So as long as we're all very careful about what we're doing and we, um, I think we all have the same sort of approach that we all want to grow the infrastructure, um, we're doing our bit by trying to generate customers where they don't necessarily um, naturally uh, appear. And I think that that's, that's pretty much what, what our approach and how our approach in terms of selling and where we're looking to sell the vehicles uh, is differentiating from everyone else. And hopefully that means that we're contributing to a much greater um, potential for fuel cell vehicles in the long term. And Brendan, I want to actually unpack a couple of things you've touched on, two major topics. Uh, it, you know, we'll tackle the first. So, you know, personal passenger vehicles, something you've mentioned and also, uh, you know, the infrastructure question as well. So I think we'll take them one at a time. And, uh, you know, starting with the personal passenger vehicle market, just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how you see FCEVs stacking up in the personal passenger vehicle market versus, uh, you know, pure battery electric. You know, the, there's obviously in the commercial realm, there are a whole bunch of reasons that, uh, you know, for weight and power issue, for weight and power uh, ratings, the FCEV solution makes a lot of sense. Uh, when compared against uh, a pure battery electric uh, a platform. Uh, but, you know, the, in the personal passenger vehicle market, uh, there seems to be a lot of people making the case that batteries uh, are a superior approach. But you guys are obviously taking a different view there. And so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, on how you guys are approaching that, that issue. As, as far as the passenger vehicles are concerned, um, obviously at the moment there's an infrastructure issue and that's something which obviously needs some time to be addressed. Um, and that's something that, you know, we're, 
where sort of, you know, our intention is not to bring the passenger vehicle onto the market before 2024. That's when that vehicle will come. Our other vehicles will be um, hitting the market before then. Um, but we see that 2024 is potentially the time that the infrastructure will start to exist to support those vehicles. Where we see our vehicles having an advantage is when those vehicles are used very regularly when they're being used um, and certainly you know obviously there's a shift towards um, the sort of uh, ride hailing uh, and car sharing sort of markets and what we believe will be a, a big issue is that those vehicles especially if they're it's in the ride hailing sort of operation uh, it comes back again to almost that commercial vehicle market where you need you need a vehicle where people are not going to have to take the vehicle off the road for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 50 minutes. And, you know, fast charging isn't something you can do every time you charge the vehicle, of course, because it does cause some damage to the batteries. So what it is, what it becomes important for us is to offer a vehicle for those sort of road hailing services to then become uh, able to be used for, you know, five, six, seven hours at a time, be able to be refueled for five minutes and then back on the road again, because that's going to be important for those sort of drivers. So obviously that's going to be the stepping stone into the passenger vehicles. But then the other people who are going to enjoy our vehicles in comparison to electric vehicles, of course, are people who have to travel longer distances. You know, people who are sort of more remote, um, people who, who drive um, more actively. And again, it comes down to that refueling sort of time. Uh, it comes back to the practicality. If they're going to areas where there isn't the refueling infrastructure for the electric vehicles, the fuel cell vehicles just give a little bit more practicality in terms of being able to get a little bit further. And we also see that the refueling oper operation of being able to refuel within five minutes is going to be something where if people are driving long distances and really doing it with some some sort of time pressure, that's where they're going to have some sort of advantage towards our vehicles. Um, the other thing, of course, is the technology jump. And at the moment, the technology is relatively expensive, but that's coming down. And we can see that already very, very quickly, that it's gone from being a super expensive product to becoming a moderately expensive product. And we see within the next four or five years it coming down to being a, um, an affordable product. And of course, fuel cell vehicles also have the advantage compared to diesel vehicles, for example, that there isn't a lot of moving parts in it. So it is a lot easier to keep on the road. Um, there's a longevity benefit in terms of fuel cells. Fuel cells are able in a number of cases to be able to be um, repaired at the end of their useful life and be able to be put back into service again, of course, by changing the membranes over. So there's a number of advantages, which means that we do have this secular economy that's able to be um, employed into the vehicles and so on, which is not being discussed at the moment. And it's not common to all of the technology. There's certain technologies and we're focusing on those technologies, which do mean that those fuel cells can have a second life, a third life, a fourth life even. And that's important to us to make sure that there is a more sustainable approach to the solutions that we're putting into our vehicles um, than not as such. And that's important to us as well. So there are a number of different technological advantages, but also I think we are looking for a different sort of customer than the battery electric guys. You know, for short distance sort of activities within the city, you know, driving to work and back every day and so on, that's somewhere where I think there's a fantastic demonstration of battery electric vehicles. I think they do a fantastic job at that. So it's a, it's a combination of the two vehicles doing what they do best. And I think that's where it's going to be interesting for us in the future. 
And Brendan, I wanted to ask a question if I can, because uh, I thought it was interesting, is is a little bit about um, H2X investors, because you obviously in the early days announced um, the partnership with the Elvin Group. Um, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it was an interesting tie up. And it's obviously, uh, I think, quite different to a lot of other fuel cell vehicle makers in the market. So maybe you could talk us a little bit through um, how the you know partnership with the Elvin Group has sort of worked. I think that would just be interesting for our listeners, if that's something you feel you can speak to. So as far as the um, Elvin Group's concerned, I've known um, the Elvin Group for a couple of years now. We've, um, we've known each other for quite a while in the hydrogen sort of space, since well back into um, before I was working for um, a couple of previous uh, jobs ago. Elvin Group is uh, it's, it's essentially a construction company and they've gone into the um, renewable space uh, in a very, very aggressive and very, very intelligent way. They're very much focused on looking at everything that they do as far as their construction business is concerned and improving on it. I was able to visit their facility where they're producing concrete and they've taken all of the waste out. They're looking at all the different ways that they can find ways of making that more sustainable and so on. And it's a really impressive sort of operation the way that they, they run things. We came together because they were looking at ways that they could improve the way that they do their business from the vehicle side. And that sort of brought us together to sort of work together um, and then look at different ways that we could start to deliver solutions. Working with Elvin is great. They've they've um, led us into a couple of new areas even. Um, we've launched recently, as you've seen, the H2X Marine product. That's been driven very much by the, um, the, the um, Elvin team and we've come up with a really, really clever product there um, which really takes advantage of the hydrogen um, fuel cell system. Uh, we've come up with a hybrid system that works for the um, for the boats, which um, takes um, into account incredibly the advantages that are possible with the fuel cell system. I think when you see it in operation, and we'll be having this on the water uh, within about four or five months, um, based on obviously we've got to wait for some things which may or may not be delayed by COVID-related delivery times. But within a number of months, you'll see that new um, powertrain, and we'll be able to explain more about it as we get along. But we've really taken advantage of the sort of powertrain and what it can do. And we believe that that's one of the best examples of where the powertrain that we've got fits into something heavy such as a boat and really demonstrates how we can be cost effective based on today's costs and also really deliver a product which is genuinely better in terms of the efficiency. Um, obviously, there's an efficiency gain, there's an environmental gain and so on. So they've been able to drive a lot of these sort of innovations and um, it's been a terrific um, sort of partnership to work with them, that's for sure. Fantastic. Brendan, I wanted to, to actually close out on that other big theme I had mentioned earlier, which was the, the infrastructure side of things. Um, and I just wondered if you could uh, quickly walk us through how H2X approaches and accounts for the challenges associated with the, with the provision of hydrogen fueling infrastructure versus the provision and, and rollout of the vehicles themselves. I would say that that's one of the most fun parts of what we're doing, actually, and that sort of may sound a little bit strange. So from coming from a world of having to find customers who want to purchase a car and so on, and we have to convince them that the car is is the right thing for them and so on, and if they buy this car, they're going to have a better life and all that sort of thing. Um, going into a situation where you have to do all of those things and then find a way for them to be able to refuel it and then find a way for their lifestyle to sort of fit into that 
it's a really great opportunity for us to hone the product down in a different way. So the way that we've looked at the products, the way that we've chosen the products to be first in line and so on, the way we're designing the products and some of the features we're putting into the products is very much considering how those vehicles will be refueled, where they'll be refueled, how they'll be used, how we can fit into the operations that we're, that we're moving into. So what's become, I would say, very much a challenge, it's one of these things where the challenge and the constraint has helped us very much create a better vehicle because what it means is that we've been able to create vehicles which will go for certain distances or have certain aspects which will allow the drivers or the um, or the operators of the fleets, for example, to be able to really sort of work around um, the sort of issues that they're going to have because of the um, uh, because of the type of um, refueling issues that they're going to be facing, um, we've been able to sort of create vehicles which are, and, and also the choice of vehicles, which is also very important, which is going to help develop that infrastructure, but also really help guide the way the infrastructure will be used and developed um, going out there. So we've chosen certain vehicles and the way that we roll out those vehicles in terms of the first product, six months later we have the second product and six months later the third product, that rollout of products will then be able to work with the infrastructure providers and say, okay, the first round of products is going to be at X, Y, and Z location. The second round of products, you need to then add where um, A, B, and C locations are, and so on and so on. And then that our product range then helps the infrastructure providers then fit their infrastructure plans according to our products. And we're working with a number of different suppliers in a number of different places on exactly that same story. So helping them create the, the rollout plans that they have based on the product plans that we have. So we think that that's been a really nice sort of operation because it's allowed us to really sort of um, uh, create a, a vehicle program which is able to support and work together with the infrastructure programs. And we think that's one of the fun parts of what we're doing, I have to say. It's very different. Um, and But having said that, I think that constraints are often the best form of, uh, of us being able to become innovative. I think that's an excellent place to, uh, to wrap up. And uh, we, we can uh, let Brendan get back to uh, what remains of his evening over in KL. Huge thank you, Brendan, uh, for your time as always. Uh, you know, it's so excited to hear what you guys are doing there. And, uh, you know, you've given me, Patrick and Andrew, plenty to, to discuss. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Brendan. No, thanks very much, guys. I've enjoyed the discussion. It's been a couple of really good questions. And, you know, good questions always help us make better vehicles, of course, because it helps challenge us. So, um, yeah, fantastic to be part of it and very glad to um, uh, be able to, to join you. What do we think, team? I think he's very good. I think what makes them particularly interesting, at least in my mind, is that you know they're new and they're already saying we're going to tackle a huge range of different applications in terms of vehicle offerings, right? So <laughs> that presents a huge number of challenges. Uh, and I think Brendan has a very good answer to, to how they are approaching uh, each one of those challenges associated with a different application, different use case, a different type of vehicle, different requirements. Um, from my standpoint, I guess, I think the personal passenger vehicle market is the most interest of the most interest to me. And I think his answer to uh, you know the the personal passenger vehicle question around FCEVs versus BEVs, um, I think it was an excellent answer. And I you know to the extent that they also envision you know companies ride hailing services uh, using 
what would be just a traditional personal passenger vehicle as part of their fleet and how that uh, drives their customers, uh, you know, a, a ride hailing service into a different category of user or owner of a, a personal passenger vehicle towards more of a commercial profile. I think that's an excellent answer and why it makes sense for companies to be giving that kind of offering in the uh, in the personal vehicle market. So I thought it was uh, I thought it was very interesting, and I think they've uh, they're taking a, taking on a large uh, a large number of different challenges. What about you, Patrick? So I would I would I would take a, a different angle on it, which is around the infrastructure rollout and build out. I think I think he's he's on the money about those kind of combined planning efforts, right? Uh, uh, you know, if you have a, a use case that that demonstrates kind of potential for X scale, um, you know, the infrastructure build out then becomes the challenging question. Folks who are planning that integrating their kind of design. To, to incorporate, you know, whether it be personal mobility or, or it be, a, you know, a steel plant or an airport, right, or whatever else, you know, that's that's a that's a really cool space, and it's something it's something we flagged in our in our year roundup is that these are now the the questions that we have in a, in a very real way because it's it's no longer about isolated or kind of you know you know single commercial projects or pilot projects. It's now about the integrated system. That's a much more challenging but but very interesting spot. I think uh, I think the the point around the differentiated use cases between you know uh, you know kind of uh, urban user uh, kind of uh, versus maybe more rural users is right. I think there's an interesting uh, differentiator between different markets as well, where you have access to different infrastructure types or more ready access to different infrastructure types, and also just different use points. Right, but we we talk about mobility, reasonable amount. I think the stuff that we always used to say was around range and, and refueling time. Those were the, the, the big the big uh, opportunities or advantages. And, and I think I think Brandon kind of hit it right on the money, that, that if you have kind of um, constraint about any one of those things, this, this becomes a very real option and a very real consideration. So, yeah, very good, very interesting, very... Um, very uh, kind of in sync, I think, with uh, with some of the themes that we talked around in the last episode as well. It's good. And how about you, Chris? No, look, um, I, I really enjoy um, conversations with Brendan about this. I mean, he's incredibly knowledgeable, and, and we didn't have the entire team on, but um, if you get to speak to Chris Rates, who's um, worked, uh, works very closely with Brendan and has for many years, and Ian Thompson and the rest, they're, they're just a really lovely bunch, very knowledgeable backtrack record. Oh, sorry. Very lovely and knowledgeable bunch of guys. And to be honest, their track record is, is extremely impressive if you go through and have a look at the team and what they've done. You know, Brendan made the point that they've probably been involved in something like 50% of the commercial vehicle market. But to be honest, it looks like they've been involved in sort of 80% of the brands. To be, It's, uh, you know, whole range of different vehicles and sectors. So, um, you know, I think they do have a different model to this. I think they do approach this differently. And I think that's quite interesting. Um, I think, uh, you know, the fact that they they kind of come at this immediately with eyes open to the chicken and egg dilemma around infrastructure versus, you know, the vehicles themselves, I think really helps. Um, I think that's probably one of the main advantages of being a relatively new company is that you probably have more latitude to be uh, more creative in what you do. You know, I'm not sure how many car companies could sort of say, right, well, we're going to do a strategic partnership with a 
you know, construction business and we're going to do a maritime piece and we're going to do, we're going to help think about how we can engage on infrastructure questions. You know, they all make complete sense in the context of what H2X has been doing, but it's that flexibility that they have as a, you know, a new company that's really exciting. And I think that's quite unusual compared to say, a, you know, a Hyundai or a Toyota, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're competitors either. And, and we probably didn't have enough time to go into it, but you know, Toyota and Hyundai have both recently um, talked about how they are making their sort of businesses, making it more available for people to actually access, you know, their fuel cell technologies and to implement them into new drivetrains. And actually, it would have been quite interesting to kind of see how H2X think about that, um, you know, given that they are working with a lot of other suppliers in the space. But otherwise, I guess, um, you know, there is a lot of products. And I think that is a that is a question that I thought you answered, you asked very well, Andrew, which is, does it make sense to have so many different models to market? You know, I, I, clearly there's interest for it. Um, you know, it would have been good to maybe go into, you know, a specific use case. So, uh, you know, what I'm really yeah, saying what, is we need an excuse most, to get Brendan back on again. Get him back on the chat <laughs> and ask him more questions. Yeah, exactly. Get back. Uh, yeah. What's the most interesting use case to you, uh, Chris or, and or Patrick? Uh, I mean, you know, they do have, if you go through their website, uh, oh, side note, by the way, if you guys haven't checked it out, uh, Chris Rates's uh uh, bio pick on the uh, on the website, good stuff. Uh, but they've got a <laughs> it's very, looks like a chief design officer. Sounds like a true fanboy now, Andrew. You've been converted. No, but what's I mean? So you know, look, they have a they have a wide variety of things listed on their agenda of, of products to roll out in the coming decade or so. Um, what's most interesting to you, Chris? Well, so I know that the light commercial vehicle bit is really interesting to people. Um, because it's just so driven by refueling times and uptime. You know, for, for those kind of city running vehicles, I think there's always been this kind of latent assumption that that should be battery electric because the distances traveled are small. But when you actually get down into it, it's all about carrying weight and about how quickly you can return the vehicle back onto the road. You know, and so having to even fast charge a vehicle for 40 minutes or 50 minutes to get the battery back up is actually quite a material piece of time out. And every, you know, kilo of storage that you lose because you're putting a bigger battery on starts to become really sensitive. So I think that area um, is a really interesting one to to see how that will kind of evolve. Um, I, I still like the truck space. I think that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I guess it's you know maybe more con it may be more complicated. There's there's quite a few people that have different takes and approaches on that. But I think the light commercial vehicles one I know is one that they, uh, the H2X talk quite a lot about. And I can understand the logic behind it. I think that, you know, discussion is is probably uh, one that is going to have people sort of scratching their heads for a while going, should it be battery electric or should it be fuel cell? As opposed to, as you pointed out, the passenger vehicle discussion where I think the majority of the market is saying it's probably going to be battery with a few exceptions for certain individuals. And mind you, that exception, quote unquote, could still be tens of thousands of orders or hundreds of thousands of orders. I'm not putting any limits on that. I'm just saying, I think most people feel that in general, the majority of the passenger vehicle market will be battery electric. Whereas in the light commercial vehicle market, I actually think you know, the type of offering that people like H2X have bring to the table 
um, or even Symbio in France supports the table actually does make that a more open conversation than it was in the past. What about you, Patrick? Do you think there's anything, I mean, uh, you know, I, I know you're probably not necessarily familiar off the top of your head with H2X's marine offerings, but I know that's kind of an area of interest for you. But I guess I'm putting words in your mouth. Is there something in particular that, <laughs> that strikes your fancy? Yeah, they've a, they've a great looking tractor on the, on the website. I saw that. That thing, you know, you could drive that around the city. Mad Max style. Yeah, Patrick Malloy Fury Road. Hydrogen Fury Road. Yeah, there you go. Good point. Sustainable Fury Road. I'm entirely taken aback. Um, no, look, I, yeah, I, I suppose, I suppose, look, there, there's a, and I think Chris kind of covered, covered the, the kind of the, the on-road mobility points well. Moving, moving away from kind of diesel and heavy fuel oil in the, in the, the shipping space, depending on, on boating and shipping, I guess. You know, it's a big, it's a big, it's a big challenge. It's a, it's one of the spaces that we've seen a lot of the early stage kind of statements of intent and efforts. Um, I think it's now kind of how, where the rubber hits the road, right? So you know, it's good. It's good that we have companies that are starting to to make really you know solid offerings for that space too. But it is challenging, uh, and it is challenging for different reasons. Um, I would I would say one thing though, and, and and Andrew, you know, in previous episodes, maybe around a year ago, you you might have uh, made a commitment to putting down a, a reservation on a certain type of vehicle with a certain company. I'm I'm wondering I'm wondering which one are you reserving here? Ah, well, uh, to what email are you sending Brendan to reserve? You know, your tractor in 2022 or 2021? Yeah, well, you know, I I, I dabble in different uh, free reservations uh, that uh, companies are offering, which should be, I suppose, immediately suspicious. But yeah, I believe you're referring to the. Uh, Nikola jet ski that I uh, currently hold a reservation for. Are they still selling that jet ski, by the way? I mean, sidebar. Well, is <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Andrew, are they? I've heard, you know, I made that reservation about a year ago, guys, and uh, I've heard exactly nothing back since. So, you know, to be decided, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, you know, given that I've got a marine reservation, you know, a marine vehicle reservation, and uh, you know, I've got various uh, SUV reservations out there from the battery electric guys. Um, I think it's time to just uh, reserve a plane. So maybe if H two X has sort of a, you know, what is it, a vertical landing and a VTOL? VTOL. Thank you. Fuel cell VTOL. Yeah, personal VTOL. We'll have to get Alakai to come on the show and talk about their VTOL. That's right. So, Andrew, um, you know, obviously uh, the most sought after automotive product uh, this year was uh, the Tesla shorts um, or boxer shorts. Uh, so, uh, you know. <laughs> right. I saw that. I saw that article you sent through. Uh, I, I did not purchase a pair of uh, what is it, like $250 for a pair of Tesla shorts. They were $250. Something like, weren't they? Maybe not. I mean, I was going to say, Andrew, we're in the we're in entirely the wrong business model here. We should be selling everything about hydrogen um, shorts and socks. Yeah. I mean, that's clearly the missing trick. All we've learned is how much how much Andrew's prepared to spend on a pair of boxer shorts, right? That's that's. But <laughs> they also did a Tesla Kila that they were offering for like two hundred and fifty dollars a bottle. So maybe that maybe I'm getting. My I mean, that actually up. sounds kind of cool, although I don't quite know how they make that. So maybe maybe Drew's out there. You no, know, it sounds like they don't actually make and deliver the shorts either so you know well maybe they do like a tesla album with backing music from grimes 
So, so is all of this is all of this a uh, a play for for uh, everything about hydrogen swag? Is is this is this your pitch, Chris? Your new business model to sell boxer shorts for two hundred and fifty bucks? I want to wear everything about hydrogen m- merchandise this ensemble, whether that be cap or or hoodie. So, to our listeners, start the hashtag campaign. We need EAH merch. Get it going. Yeah. <laughs> That's going to be that's going to be trending on Twitter pretty soon. All right. Well, here's the thing, guys. We don't have much time left, but I do figure uh, we should wrap up our year end episode with, I don't know, some sort of acknowledgement of the end of the year and like what, what we're looking forward to in 2021. I actually haven't prepared anything for this. So, Chris, why don't you take it away? Thank you for the hospital pass, Andrew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, I think I think roll on 2021. I think the momentum is there. Um, you know, we've got COP26 uh, in November, so there'll be lots of announcements. I'm sure with the new Biden administration, there will be some moves there. Um, you know, and if they do re-enter the Paris climate, if the US does re-enter the Paris climate agreements, um, you know, I think that will be really interesting, especially now China and Japan have set net zero goals. So, yeah, I, I think it's a... Uh, it's a really exciting time. And, you know, I think, uh, as I said in our previous episode, we're moving from demonstration to deployment. Um, you know, it's really important that those companies that are leading in getting projects into deployment and commercial deployment are able to do so, are able to execute um, government policies, you know, are actually helping rather than hindering that. Uh, and investors are actually engaging materially with it because, you know, I think there is sometimes a a tendency for people to wait 10, 20 years um, and then decide to get into the space. And we just can't afford to do that. Um, you know, we've seen what amazing impact um, mobilizing investment for wind and solar has done, but that's taken, you know, it's taken the better part of 15 years and we really don't have another 15 years to be investing in things like, you know, hydrogen and heat pumps and batteries and all these other, you know, equipment pieces. So um, hopefully in 2021, all this great momentum continues and uh, you know our listeners keep enjoying us on the show that uh, to me would be a pretty great 2021 that's pretty optimistic pat patrick patrick you want to bring us down a notch and uh, no your turn andrew you're 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 up. i'm looking forward to the delivery of my uh nicola wave rider uh, uh jet ski that's uh, that's my big take for the year okay wow that was okay that was quick um 2021. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I hope this is when we start to see, you know, some of the larger announcements that we've had over the last maybe year start to, to reach that kind of FID level, maybe even start to get steel in the ground. I think, I think that's where we, we kind of need to be. Look, we've, we've got what a couple of gigafactories kind of coming on stream in the next little while. Hopefully, maybe I think maybe one or two of those are up next year. But look, at the end of the day, here we've gone through a, a little bit of a hype um, over the last the last year. It's it's now about fulfilling those promises. And and as bad as twenty twenty has been as a year for everything, it's been a good year for hydrogen and hydrogen-related um, companies uh, in terms of prominence and in terms of fundraising, in terms of announcements that should lead to things. It's now, it's now the moment to get the, get the stuff on the ground because we don't want to have the same cyclical you know, story of like hype and then drop and, and you know, then the next big thing, thing all over again. It, you know, it's, it's a deployment year. It's a deployment decade. It's time to, it's time to get it done because, uh, and you wanted a depressing note. We don't have the time anymore in general. We need to get uh, low carbon and zero carbon solutions out the door if we want to meet any of the expectations and targets that we've been uh, promising for the last 
20 years. Okay, fine. I'll take I'll take that cue and revise my answer so we can end on an optimistic note. Thanks for bringing us down again, Patrick. You asked. Uh, yeah, no, so I, I think that my, my optimistic outlook, my, my optimistic thing for 2021 is I think, uh, I think there is promise and things to be encouraged about in at least from uh, the, the U.S. standpoint, right? I'll talk about my region, but I think the Biden administration, I think there's uh, promising news coming out of the Biden administration and looking at its platforms and strategies for addressing climate change and renewable energy transition issues. I think that's all optimistic. Now we've lost about four years that we could have made some progress in here in the U.S., but after that, I think this is a this is a good thing. I think we've got some some interesting stuff and some positive things coming down the road in 2021. So that's my thought. And that does it for us here today at Everything About Hydrogen. And that's a wrap for EAH for 2020. A big thank you to Brendan Norman, CEO of H2X, for making time in his schedule to join us all the way from Kuala Lumpur to talk all things hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle related. As we all know, there's a lot of action in the FCEV world these days, and we are looking forward to following the space and H2X as they both grow in the coming years. And of course, thank you as always to Patrick and Chris for their masterful co-hosting abilities and hard work on the show. It's been a heck of a year here at EAH, and we are looking forward to an even more exciting year in 2021. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. It really does help us promote the show and reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you all have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. Happy New Year.